Hi, this is Russ Ballard, and you're listening to the Voices of Russ Ballard podcast. Well, welcome everyone to the Christmas edition of the Voices of Russ Ballard with myself, Ian. And me, Sven. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good whatever for. Sven, good to have you around. Sven, you're looking excited, and I and I I know why you're looking excited because I'm excited too. I do have goose pimples. It's it's a holy day. It's a truly holy day in more ways than one, because you know it's getting near Christmas, but it's the holy guitar that we're that maybe just maybe you want to give that some thought in terms of who we're going to talk to in a moment or two. Who could it be, Sven? Well, I think it's Christmas Eve and Father Christmas has a brilliant gift for us. Well, who could it be? I, I would say a man who has, who's been responsible for, for album sales of over 100 million worldwide. Well, why don't we do that? Why don't we pretend it, it's a gig? We've missed gigs so much. Why don't we pretend that, that he's just about to come on stage and we say, are you ready for the man who gave rock and roll to you? Are you ready to believe in miracles? Ladies and gentlemen, we are extremely proud. It's always good to be here. And the fire still burns for Russ Ballard. Welcome, Russ. Hello. Thank you. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's still great to be here. <laughs> uh, it's good to see you. It's yeah, good to see you. You're looking good. Yeah. I feel all right, Sven. Yeah, I feel okay. Yeah. Good, 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 good. Yeah, the we have to survive through this, don't we? The Hertfordshire well, countryside's looking good, Russ. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it, it's looking, you know, the buds are, buds are coming out on the trees and the, you know, the sort of little uh, crocuses are out and stuff and whatever. It's nice. And Spurs are top of the league. What more, what more well, can you want? That's the main, that's the main thing. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the, I got my Danny Blanchflower book out the other day to show somebody. They couldn't believe that uh, he sent me a book years ago. He sent me his book. I was so into Spurs, you know, when I was a kid. He sent oh. me his book. Uh, um, he was president of the boys club that I belong to. And I used to play football for them as well. And uh, it really brightened up my time in hospital. I tell you to get this book, you know, uh, he says, he said, I got it in uh, a long time ago. And uh, it's very, it's sort of emotional experience to see it again. It's ripped and everything, but it's got a letter in there from Danny Blanchfell to me, to, uh, to Moorfield's okay. hospital. Oh, lovely. And it's, it's so wonderful, you know, it's just amazing. Because that was the, that was the double side, you know, was the, he was the uh, 1961. Main man. 1961 is the year yeah. I was born, actually. Just to, yeah, and you know, came in here to my house six months ago, well, less no. than six months ago. His grandson, Tom Blanchflower, and I didn't, yeah, I didn't know his grandson, but I knew his, I knew his, uh, his partner, he came in with her, you know, she introduced him as Tom Blanchflower. And uh, I said, God, I've got a letter from your grandfather, you know. It's amazing. <laughs> so anyway, it's enough of Spurs. Well, the Spurs, go, the Spurs go marching on, but also we're going marching on here 
and the voices of Russ Ballard. So um, we've got so many questions for you. We've got, we're not, we've made a decision. We're not going to be asking you why you left Argent, why has the holy guitar got holes in it, all the usual stuff. We've got, we've got some, hopefully some challenging questions for you and some fun questions too. Um, mm. And Sven, I think you've got the first, let's kick off with something from Sven, shall we? Over to you, sir. Well, idea of a great idea. I know a guy who wrote a song called Time Machine. And let's use the time machine and travel back to the 60s. Okay. Yeah. Very good. So um, let, let's, let's start with, with some questions around the roulette. You know, we had, um, we had the mop part with the peat part. We had uh, some of the roulette members here. And um, what I always wanted to know, Russ, is it true that you didn't play anything to Adam um, just because you said to him you like anything that's got a good tune? Yeah. He ever ever saw you playing before? No, no, it's, it never. No, I had lunch with him at his house. I'd never met him before. I just had lunch, sat down. Strangely enough, uh, he said, "Do you want to stay?" F I, I went with Johnny Rogers. John Rogers was five years older than me, so I think John was John was a great bass player. I mean, he was probably the main the main uh, session man. I would have thought at the time. There are a few great session players but John John used to do lots and lots of sessions and he was very well known so uh, I think he probably accepted John's opinion of me you know so uh, I sat down he said are you going to stay for lunch I said yeah well I was with John anyway so I had to stay for lunch you know so uh, I sat down and he had a valet and a cook and this this is Adam Faith had a valet and a cook he was 22 years old you know a beautiful Tudor house and, you know, and uh, we were served and, well, you know, uh, we just, you know, uh, we took our own, uh, our own servings out of the dish, you know, that we, he presented dishes to a silver service, you know, the service thing. And then uh, I thought, I, I lived in a flat. I never thought, never seen anything like this before, you know. <laughs> and um, Bob Henry was there, Johnny Rogers was there. Um, Adam was there and I was there. I don't remember anyone else being there. And uh, he said, he just said to me, what sort of music do you like, Russ? I said, anything that's got a good tune, really, you know. And uh, I think that's all he said to me. <laughs> he didn't actually see you play guitar. Is that what, is that what's, no, no, is no, that the... No, no, no. The first, first time he saw him play, play guitar was at a rehearsal for a gig. My God. Yes, that's pretty good. Because my, my question was going to be around that. Because I, I read in 1996 in Adam's autobiography, and I'm quoting here right, exactly what he says. He's talking about you, and he says, I quote, he took, the, he took out his guitar and played. He was magic, and we had ourselves a lead guitarist. Now, he's obviously referring to, to the rehearsal. Um, but I, I, I just wanted to say, I think both of us, speaking for both of us and a lot of people listening, I think actually that your guitar playing is very, very underrated. Um, and, you know, you've only got to see the solos that you do in Liar and the likes, and you just just absolutely nail it. Um, that's my personal view. But um, I've got a quick question for you. You have to choose one guitar. Do you choose a Gibson Les Paul or do you choose a Fender Stratocaster or Telecaster? 
Oh, it's you know they're both very different. I mean, a, a Gibson's very uh, has a great pickup called a humbucker, or the one that I play, and yep. it uh, it's you know they're very edgy. Mm-hmm. A, a thicker sound. They're a thicker sound to a Fender Strat. Yes, much fuller sound. It seems when you're listening yeah, yeah. to it, a much yeah. fuller sound. Yes, I agree. Uh, the Fender gets an amazing treble on there, but also you could put it into that um, uh, the sort of bassy pickup, and um, it's a great sound because Henrik used to use use that uh, bassy pickup, and uh, he got a great sound of it. It's quite a different sound to a, a Gibson, but overall, I think you can get more from a Fender if you want to play if you want to play sort of soul music, you want to play that kind of stuff and whatever Fender, and it looks so good. <laughs> Fenders look great, but I sort of demolished, demolished mine. Yeah, it demolished it, but I thought um, you know it makes it a lot lighter, and uh, it gave it a bit of pers- personality. I thought you know. Well, you've you've done a, an amazing job on your holy guitar. Look, it was it was nineteen sixty eight. You bought a black Fender from Buster Michael. Yeah, Buster Michael, the, yeah. the holy one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was a black Fender, and yeah. uh, Buster. Buster was a, the rhythm guitar player in uh, in Unit Four Plus Two. He was the singer in in my second or third band, basically. He was, and then he joined the Unit Four Plus Two, and um, he strummed on the concrete and clay. Gatch, 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 gatch. You to me are sweet as roses in the morning, and. Um, he sold that guitar. He said, I want to sell my guitar. And I said, I'll buy it from you. And I think I bought it. It was 1965 and I bought it in 68. And I think I paid about a hundred pounds for it or something. Wow. And I had it straight away because I already had a couple of fenders. And um, I said to my friend, Jim Wilkinson, who went to the Royal College of Art, he was in my first band. He was a, he was a, a THS, THS bass player. Mm-hmm. But he was a very good artist. He, li- he lived in the next street to me where I was born. I've known him longer than anyone. I said to Jim, can you cut some holes in this guitar? He said, yeah. Why? <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> but I, just want- I want it to look different, you know. At that time, there were a lot of Swedish furniture. I think they were Swedish. A Swedish company uh, were making furniture. Do you remember the metal chairs that had holes yeah. in them. And I think they were easy, you could stack them up, you could put 10 chairs on, on top of mm-hmm. each other and you could walk around with these 10 chairs. It was a great idea, but I thought they looked so good. And I, there was never a guitar with a hole in it and I thought it'd be great to um, have a, a kind of a, a Gruyere guitar. Of course, Swedish companies, Swedish companies are still making uh, furniture, aren't they? Apparently, so I've just I've seen down they the road. Yeah, or, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, uh, there are still there are still <laughs> guitarists copying the, the holes or something something like the holes. You know, yeah, I've seen a few. I've seen a few since in the last twenty years. Yeah, didn't Mister well, Dol- is- didn't Mister Daltrey say to you at one point yeah. when he saw it? Here, Russ, that guitar, that looks nice with the holes in. Can you get me one of those? Or, or words to that effect? Is that true? It's similar, yeah. We were doing, I produced his Rider Rock Horse album in ni- 1975. And we did, uh, when the album was finished, uh, we, I think we 
videoed, we videoed five songs from the album and we did them at Shepperton Studios. And um, it was all done on film and everything. Um, uh, and Roger played guitar on a couple of songs. Well, I played my Fender Holy guitar. And uh, Roger said, I, I really like that guitar. He said, uh, uh, and he looked at the chippy. There was a chippy there, obviously, in the studio, you know, a chippy, a carpenter. And he said, here, mate, can you put some holes in this? And he had a, he had a Gibson Les Paul. And he went, yeah. And he took it away and he came back. I tell you, he came back 20 minutes later and it had all these holes in the guitar. So there's a Roger Daltrey guitar around. No. Uh, it looks very, very similar. We should ask Roger Daltrey if he no. still has this guitar. I mean, to be honest, to be honest, your guitar, the holy guitar, is the most beautiful guitar in the world. Without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, that's that's a fact. It looks it looks great, and the color is uh, beautiful. That's outstanding. So you found really a good instrument, which was so outstanding, and yeah. everybody recognizes the, yeah. the holy guitar and knows. Okay, this, this is the Russ Ballard guy, or that's the guy from Argent. I've yeah, seen yeah, them before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good sound. I mean, if you're playing chords and things like on "Hold Your Head Up," those chords. Uh, da, 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 da. And if it's bad, don't let it get you down. You can take it. 
was through a Jennings amp, but uh, it was it was a very it overloads quite nicely, you know, just overloads that little bit and uh, it gives it a bit of edge. It's really not really nice. We're going to talk about it's good to be here, your latest uh, album, a little bit later on, but. I think it was so, so great to see on, on the publicity pictures from the album to see, um, you know, you there with the guitar. It was, it was so, you, yeah. you know, it kind of just, it was retro, but it was, it was cool at the same time. So some great, some great photographs there, I have to say. Yeah. I don't know who took them, but there's some great photographs. Yeah, it's good, it's good that guy. Yeah. yeah. Really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. That was Sven Kramer. <laughs> Round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 my God. oh, my God. Well done, Sven. That was a nice day, Sven, wasn't it? When we took at the pictures, taking a nice couple of days. That was beautiful. You and me, you remember you and me walking through the fields, yeah. um, telling us lovely stories and take yeah. some photographs in between. That was amazing. Yeah, and then dinner in the evening. How bad. Oh, that was yeah. that was so good. Was that a year ago? Yeah, yeah, it was a year ago. It was. Yeah. The, it, tell you what, it was the last time I, I was sitting in an airplane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so long ago, but we will make it again. We will oh, see yeah, us absolutely. again. Absolutely. Because I know that you are very, very yeah. You are highly productive at the moment. Well, what else? <laughs> what else can you do? Going in the studio, um, writing songs and songs and more songs and recording, and you do have a very good mixer, very close. Yeah, to my, you. yeah, Christian, Christian, yeah, I've got the, Christian, I've got the best mixer in the world. He's yeah. the best mixer going, actually. You know. He is. Is with sound. I mean, I could mix and I mix things, you know, but um, it's great to have somebody that's subjective around me as well, you know, that hears things uh, uh, in his way. And um, is, I can't get the drum sound that he gets. He gets, he gets a really good drum sound. He gets, uh, he's, he's immersed in music, you know, he's immersed in music himself. He plays more, is more kind of, uh, well, he can do everything, but he's more into. He's got his own record label, which is Friday Fox. It's called mm -hmm. Friday Fox Music, and uh, he's in track source at the moment. He's got. He's had about four four hits in track source. So for those I mean, for those of you who are listening, you don't know we but we mentioned just Christian. This is we're talking about Christian Ballard, um, who if you Google him or you go to track source, you can see some of his work, and, and well worth a, a listen and a look. To, to our listeners it's brilliant yeah yeah we've done we've done stuff together you know we've we've made uh we've re produced albums for certain people and stuff mm. and i love working with him you know and yeah. i wrote one of the songs from it's good to be here with him you know we, we wrote wasted together well that, and, uh, I get that is so some song that is some yeah song. i mean he is uh, it's a delight to work with you know so Sven, we want to talk a little bit about Arjun, don't we? We're going to go uh, before we start sort of going into the, well, yeah. the latest stuff. We, we've got so we, we inevitably we have some Arjun questions. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I think it, it's really really interesting for the people to know. After after joining Arjun, you started songwriting for the band straight away on on the first album, Liar, Schoolgirl, Lonely Heart Road. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, the, the album didn't chart it, but your song Liar was a big success for Three Dog Night. Uh, I think it was one, one year later or so. Um, how was it for you having a top 10 hit? So just joining Argent as a band, starting songwriting and producing a hit. Actually, I'd started songwriting before that because I wrote a song, uh, I wrote so many years before that. I wrote a song, uh, well, an instrumental that was in, uh, I wrote that in, the instrumental I wrote in 1962. Yep. I wrote an instrumental in, and the, the Shadows recorded. So I'd, I'd, had, um, I'd had that experience of, uh, of doing it and thinking to myself, well, I can do it, you know? Um, and I was writing, I was writing at home, I was sitting at the piano writing stuff, writing stuff. I had loads of tunes between being, between, between being 15 years old and 18 years old. I was writing all the time, believe it or not. I was writing all the time, uh, writing tunes with lyrics and stuff, but I was writing all kinds of stuff. But I didn't have a publisher. Uh, to to actually put the songs out there or to get covers, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it wasn't actually the catalyst for my songwriting was joining Argent because it allowed me to suddenly oh I've got a, I've got an outlet for my songs, and so uh, Rod being a great songwriter anyway, I mean he, he wrote She's Not There when he was seventeen, <laughs> uh, which is really such a great song, you know, really impressive, yeah. And, I, and, and Rod phoned me and said he was starting a band. Would I like to be in it? And I said, yeah, straight. I was in Unit 4 Plus 2 then. Mm -hmm. Bob Henry and, and I were, were the plus two, basically, in Unit 4 Plus 2. And, um, but when Rod phoned me, I said, yeah, straight away. Because you know, I, I always appreciated and respected him as a great player one of the best keyboard players going and uh, a great songwriter mm. and um we we hit it off in fact we played a lot of football before then you know we've done a lot of tv shows together ready steady go we've done together a couple of times we've done a few things and uh, shared dressing rooms and stuff uh, then we used to play football on thursday nights in in um in east hearts in chesham and Colin Blunstone and Rod used to turn up on every Thursday from St. Albans and we used to play. Um, so we, used to, we hit it off really well. And uh, yeah, we started rehearsing in 1969. We rehearsed for a year. <laughs> we rehearsed for a year to, uh, you know, to go on the road. But um, Rod, and, Rod and Chris White, who was the bass player in The Zombies, had a production deal so they could produce three artists. One of the artists was Argent. Then they, uh, they produced Colin Blundstone as well. But um, yeah, I, I thought, yeah, I, I could write for this band because it's like rock, I like rock. The first tune, I already had uh, Schoolgirl. Mm. I had the tune. So when I demoed it, I made it sound a bit like the zombies, you know? <laughs> Remember when you were a schoolgirl? Yeah, and I was I was clapping on ding 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 I tracked that a few times, you know, put some reverb when it sounded really exciting, but very zombie-ish, you know. And um, then 
Rod said, yeah, have you got any more songs? They, he had quite a few. Chris White had quite a few. This is for the first Argent album. And um, the best song, I think, the song I really liked that I heard from them was um, Dance in the Smoke from Chris White. Chris wrote that. They, I know they shared it as, um, as a, as a co-write, but it was such a clever lyric and a nice idea. Um, and the last song I wrote was Liar. I remember going up to the one of the last sessions, the last week of doing sessions, going up to Sound Techniques in Chelsea, where we made most of the album. And I was sat with the road manager and I was still writing the lyrics going up there to Liar. And I remember having the pad and the pen, you know, and, um, and we put the song down that night, we put Liar down. I wanted it to sound like a blues, a blues tune. That's why we didn't put drums on it. We put a kick drum mm. and we put a cymbal smash in the lyre part. And um, that was it basically. But um, when it came out, I thought it sounded, the idea was exciting. I thought, you know, ain't that what you said? Ain't that what you said? Ain't that what you said? Liar! <laughs> liar! <laughs> That's an exciting, I think it was the idea that got people, you know, and it got Three Dog Night, which was good. Yeah, and they ended up in a, in a, a huge it, hit. Yeah, but it was a huge hit. Yeah, it was top 10 in America. Yeah, it was it? a top 10 in the States. That was, that was amazing. Yeah, really it, was good. It, was, it was top 10. It was top 10 on their, um, was it Seven Separate Falls? Oh, no, it was Naturally. The album was called Naturally, so that was top 10. The single was top 10 and then they brought out a greatest hits and that was top 10 and it had mine on there as well. So, you know, I suddenly saw the power of songwriting. I thought, God, this is, um, you know, suddenly started to get checks in as well, which made <laughs> it's the first, time, first time I started to, to, to make money from music, you know? Well, of course the second album was ring of hands and a lot of people say that's their favorite album. Uh, I don't know what Sven thinks, but as a fan, I would disagree. I think in deep, Indeed, album. Indeed, was my favorite. Oh, oh, that's good. Yeah, we're, we're in good company, Sven. That's good. Yeah, yeah it was my favorite album. It's actually Elton John's favorite because Elton sent a letter, not to me, he sent it to Rod. And I know Elton, but he sent this letter to Rod and uh, he said, uh, You know, I've got to just tell you that Indeed is the best album I've heard for years or something, something to that effect. Rod would tell you when you, when you speak to Rod. But uh, Wow. Which was amazing because he was a big record collector. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I thought I, I thought everything actually. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ian. I was going to say Elton, uh, having read his book, he collected everything. <laughs> he was a big, yeah, big collector, wasn't he? A big collector. Yeah. But um, uh, we did quite a few shows with him. You see, at that time, he was just breaking. Mm. So Argent, we played the Roundhouse with him. He was just breaking really big over here. We played in uh, Hemel Hempstead. Pavilion, was it called? I think it was Pavilion. He was, you know, he's just breaking. It just bang, you know, from nowhere. And I'd known him before then, you know, we knew him when he was in Bluesology and those, you know, those uh, bands. We used to see him in Saint-Tropez. We were in Saint-Tropez in 66 and he was playing there at the Papageo Club. The Herbie Goins and the Night Timers were there and uh, Ronnie Jones and the Night Timers were playing there. Uh, Paramounts were there. 
Paramounts became Procol Harum. They're all in the south of France at that time. It was brilliant. It was, it was, you know, buzzing. Traveling the world in the sixties. It's amazing. It's amazing to hear which which places you have seen. Um, yeah, already yeah. in the sixties. You know, that was it was fantastic, Sven. You know, it was just at that time. Uh, it was just, you know, well, it was the mid sixties which was uh, an exciting time anyway. And we were young and uh, I was 20 when we were there actually, and it was absolutely amazing. And um, we used to go to this club every, every night. We used to end up at this club when we weren't playing, when we weren't working, we were traveling all over Europe with Richard Anthony. He was a big French artist, a French singer, and he had lots and lots of hits. And we backed him on a TV show over here. We were session men. The roulettes were session men for this TV show called Tale of Two Rivers. And half of the show was done at the Seine, uh, the River Seine, and half was uh, on the Thames. Mm. And they had, they had to, we had to back Marianne Faithful, Lulu, Mark Winter, and all these kind of people. And we backed French singers as well. And this French singer called Richard Anthony came mm. in and... Um, we couldn't believe him. He said, God, you guys. And one of the songs he wanted to sing was Congreet and Clay. <laughs> so of course we played it. We played absolutely like the record. You know, he said, God, this is so much like the record. And he said, yeah, we played on the record. He said, how would you like, you guys left to come to, uh, to France, you know, and black me for, for the whole of the summer, you know, and it would be great to play all the casinos and all the, and, you know, we played everywhere, you know, we traveled in his plane <laughs> and uh, all over the Mediterranean, you know, we went to, um, uh, we went to Via Reggio, Rimini, Corsica, Sardinia, uh, uh, Mallorca, uh, Spain, and we were based in Saint Tropez, that was our base, Hotel Mediterranean. <laughs> which was uh could be worse i suppose yeah it was brilliant it was fantastic but uh i missed my girlfriend at the time funnily enough and i look back i say god this was absolutely amazing you know you know you look back and you say why don't i why didn't i enjoy that more mm. it was great but why didn't i enjoy that more i missed my girlfriend who stayed here and yeah, it wasn't as easy to jump on a plane in those days probably as well no. Now he said he would drop us home one day. He, he said he, he <laughs> one day. Yeah, he would drop us home for two days. He said I will fly. I will get Rene. He had a pilot as well. He said I will get Rene to fly you back, to fly you back, uh, and pick you up. Yeah. Well, Russ, um, we um, we're just going to take a, a short break on the voices of Ross Ballard, and we'll be back with Russ in just a moment.
can take the afternoon, but nighttime comes around too soon. You can't know what you mean to me. Voices of Russ Ballard with Russ Ballard. Never thought I'd hear myself say that, but I just did. Um, so we just learned. We just we just learned. I mean, that Elton John's favorite Argent album is is in deep, and um, so I can certainly feel the love tonight. Um, I can tell you after. Oh, that. I like that. Um, okay. You know. <laughs> and even though it's it's sunny here in Portugal, I'm not going to let let it go down on me. So enough, enough of that. Um, so uh, I've got some questions. Uh, I have to be really selfish and say that the best track, even though God gave rock and roll, the best track on um, in deep to me is quite simply it's only money parts one and two. And and for me, uh, goose pimples. Every time I play it, I play it at least once a week, extremely loud. Imaginary guitar, the whole lot. Um, was that ever covered by by anybody, Russ? Uh, it's only money. 
no. that you're aware of surprises not me. I, not as far as I remember. It may have been, but I, I don't think so, no. I mean, uh, it was in two parts, which I thought was yeah. the same song being completely different in two parts, I thought mm. was a novel idea, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, I thought that was a nice idea. It might have turned people off, you know, because the song was about six minutes long, seven minutes long, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, I think of the Argent reunion tour that a lot of people listening to this would have uh, come to and enjoyed. Uh, such a cracking opener to the show when um, we had a little bit of Kutek from Rod, you playing the, the guitar part, and then straight into, you know, um, It's Only Money. It was just sensational. Um, start yeah, to I, I used to like doing it. Yeah. Sensational. Like yeah, so it's a great stage song. I'd like but, to do it again, actually, but... You know, we've got so many tunes now to choose from. You know, it's what we're going to leave out. And I just, just while we're on Argent, just a couple of questions to finish off. I mean, I was fortunate to see Argent many times when you the band when you were in the band, including Croydon Fairfield Hall uh, when I was twelve. Um, yeah. And um, that that night, you were delayed coming on stage because of um, a, a, a Rod Org- Rod's organ rig i've got to be careful how i say that by the way matron um but um but i don't know whether you recall this happening but on a serious note there were people you know smoking wacky backy around me at the time uh saying um you know that the band were getting a reputation for actually for, for, for some technical issues before they came on stage normally around you know rod's keyboards and, and the rig etc do yeah. you do you recall that at all do oh god yeah issues? yeah oh yeah it was mad it was mad. I mean, all the time, you know, it was, you know, because the whole idea of doing a show is you do the show, it builds and, you know, and you, you know, you, we're building the show and it gets halfway through and suddenly the organ goes, yeah, nothing. You've got no organ, you know, and this is how it used to be. Yeah. And we went to the States. It was just as bad. You know, we took two and a half tons of gear and Rod insisted on taking his organ because he had a C3 which is, I, I was told this is identical to the B3, which they have in America. They have, they have a thousand B3s in America. You can get a B3 and it's the same voltage out when you get out there. Rod insisted on taking a C3. And the only difference between a C3 and a B3 is the case. Wow. He insisted on taking it, a different voltage. So we had to have uh, a voltage changer and it, they mm-hmm. never worked, you know, they never worked. It's just, yeah, it was mm. very sad. It's funny. I remember reading an interview. It just triggered my mind on something. An interview with um, with Rod, where the the, the 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 it was one of those sounds or melody maker back in the day, and they were making quite a, an accusation about Rod to say something along the lines of many roadies in the Argent, either pre yourself or even post yourself with John Grimaldi and John Verity, where. He, he used to get extremely upset um, with roadies and they would leave on the spot as a result of him being extremely upset. You don't have to answer that question, but I, I, I just re- I remember reading an article and this music journalist was quite near the mark with kind of cri- not criticizing, but making that observation about, uh, about Rod. I don't remember that. I don't remember. I remember him being upset <laughs> because his organ, his organ was going off, but um... You know, they didn't, they were roadies, you know, they weren't technicians as such, you know, they were, you know, they were setting stuff up, they were told what to do. And if the, uh, you know, it was working when we started the show, why does it go off after 30 minutes, you know? Yeah. Is it there for? I don't know. 
But it used to happen here, and it used to happen in America, and I could never un understand. I, uh, the thing about America is we would take, we didn't have to use a C3, we could have used a B3, which is, you know, you can get easily in America. Mm -hmm. So I didn't understand, but um, we had some good roadies actually, they were good guys. Okay, well, thanks for your honesty on that. I, and I've, got, I've got one more last question about Argent before we, we hand over to Sven and we start talking about your solo career. Um, in fact, we probably should talk, stop talking about organs because uh, with, you know, with the carry-on generation and, you know, matron and all those things, oh, yeah, we no, probably should yeah. stop matron, stop talking about people's organs. Um, oh, on, on, but on that note, um, a, a serious note about Gene Simmons. Uh, does it annoy you that Gene Simmons, um, allegedly, by the way, states that publicly that he wrote God Gave Rock and Roll to You? Or is that, is, is it just a figure of speech and he's being Gene? the way Gene Simmons is always Gene. Well, you know, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me really, to be honest. Um, you know, I did write the song many, many years, years before they recorded it, but um, they did change. They did change the first verse of God Gave Rock and Roll to You, and um, yeah. it actually suits, it actually suits the song more. But for my own, our version, our uh, Argent version, you know, I wrote the words that I wanted to use. And uh, they only changed that first, first four lines. And um, I mean, the rest of it, if you want to be a singer or play guitar, man, you've got to sweat or you don't get, I wrote that. And if you're young, you'll never be old. Music can make your dreams unfold. How good it feels to be alive.
If you wanna be a singer or play guitar, man, you gotta sweat or you won't get far. 'Cause it's never too late to work nine to five. And if you're young, then you'll never be old. Music can make your dreams unfold. How good it feels to be alive. So there was just four lines that they wrote uh, 18 years later, or <laughs> whatever, <laughs> and they called it "God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too." And yes. um, I mean, I guess it is. I, I guess that is Gene Simmons, and that's what he does. You know, that's what he does. But um, it doesn't bother me that much. Everybody in the, in the whole world knows "God Gave Rock and Roll" was written by Russ Ballard. That's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, I mean, kiss. Kiss couldn't couldn't sing the song as you wrote it. Can, at I, least can I just? Can I, 
I want to challenge that, actually. I want to challenge that, Sven. Um, you and I have done many podcasts now, and we, we've heard that God Gave Rock and Roll to You was written by John Mod Rogan. That's what he said. That was Mott gave rock and roll to you, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, that was Mott gave rock and roll to you. That was Mott gave rock and roll to you. Completely different song, completely different yeah. song. Oh, that's fair. But yeah, that was a huge hit for Mott Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> so, talking about... Talk, talking about uh, since it. you've been Mod, wasn't it? Since you've been Mod. Since you've been Mod. Since you've been Mod, yeah. yeah. But talking about the big big hit. So, at, at some point, you left, you left Arjun and you started your solo career um what was the idea behind your first album did did you want to be a solo musician or was there always a, a clear focus on being being um a songwriter no no i no, i wanted to i wanted to get a band together straight away get a band together and go on the road yeah. the idea was uh, you know uh, i didn't have many songs for myself when i left the band Uh, but CBS wanted an album out pretty quickly. So I was writing songs pretty quickly and it was totally, you know, what do you do once you've been with the band, you're doing heavy progressive music. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do music that I wanted to do, which were tunes, which were songs, you know? And uh, so what do you do? And I thought, I think I reacted against everything I'd done for the last, the three previous years and sort of made it very, very simple. And I wanted to do everything myself just because I guess because I can, but to, uh, uh, it seemed, you know, get, uh, getting drummers in and telling them what to play, telling a bass player what to play, I'd rather do it myself. So mm -hmm. I went into the studio and I played the drums first of all and sang the songs to myself without a click track, just playing the, you know, just playing this, singing the song in my head and playing and then putting the bass on and putting the guitar on and doing the vocals, whatever, the keyboards and whatever. But, uh, Very, very difficult. I didn't realize how difficult it would be to stay in absolutely in time. Never thought of playing to a click track. There were no things, as far as I was concerned, there were no click tracks around. So I just sang the song to myself. You don't realize how, while you're playing the drums and singing to yourself, you're fluctuating all the time. You know, mm -hmm. the speed is fluctuating. It's getting faster and going slower. <laughs> You don't want it to be like that, but that's how it goes. Um, I wanted to do that. I would have done it then or would be doing it now. So after, I got that out of my system after that first album. But I wanted to get a band together and go to the States. But I had to wait another year, uh, another album, another year and a half to go to the States with my own band. Mm -hmm. And did a three-week tour. That's the only, only tour I ever did on my own. Um, I started to write. And then I had a child, uh, Christian was born in 1975. And I missed him so much when I did the tour of America in 76. I missed him so much. I mean, he couldn't speak. It was only a, a tiny little organism, you know. And um, I just missed him so much. I, the, the tour, it was a huge tour. It was America, of course, uh, and Europe. You were... Oh, yeah, and, and Europe, yeah. When I'm correct in all my research, you started in Amsterdam. Yeah. And you finished off the tour in the City of Angels, Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you were also in, in Oslo, in Stockholm. Yeah, go on. Paris. 
yeah. Munich, Frankfurt, Hamburg, Copenhagen. Yeah. 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 Oslo. Yeah. Oslo, yeah. In uh, yeah, Paris, St. Albans, Woodstock, <laughs> New York, Woodstock. Long Island. Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati, Chicago, <laughs> yeah. Cleveland. That was such a such a big tour. It was actually, wasn't it? Yeah, it was brilliant. But um, probably and the audience exhausting as well. Yeah, you know, it. it I, I didn't feel it, but um, I mean, Argent had done eight tours. We'd done eight tours. I'd done eight, eight tours with them, and the first tour was for three months. You know, that was exhausting because we didn't even think about getting sleep or anything like that you know sleep didn't mean much but uh you realize you know you must get your rest sleep won't help me that's a that's a good idea for a song isn't it um that, i was thinking <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was thinking um uh when you were talking there in fact one of my questions which i think you've answered to be honest was with the advent of technology um, what's your opinion of using drum machines? Because I know you, 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 you've adopted them for some time. And, you know, would you still consider in the studio, if you wanted to make that sound, would you consider getting, you know, a Bob Henrit in or, or playing it live yourself? Or do you feel that, you know, technology has moved on and you're happy with the drum sounds you're getting? But I think you've probably answered that, Russ, to be honest. Yeah, drum sounds, drum sounds, drum sounds are, uh, have improved drum machines and things, you know, the actual uh, feel, like strings, the, the uh, computer strings have improved. Yeah. Same principle, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing, but um, I'd use, I prefer to use a drummer, to be honest. Right. But sometimes you have a sound, a drum sound in your, in your brain, that you, you get a certain drummer, you say, you know, it's got a great reputation, this amazing, an amazing drummer, and it just doesn't play. So you, you, you have to get a bespoke, a bespoke player to play what's in your brain, you know. Mm. I mean, there's so many tunes I write that would suit Cozy Pal, you know. Yeah. And sometimes I've got, I've got friends, I don't mean Bob, I don't mean Bob Henrik, uh, Bob's a great drummer. But, um, you know, there's certain drummers just don't play with that weight. I said to Cozy one day, he played on, he played on Since You've Been Gone and played on the Graham Bonnet album. And I played on that Graham Bonnet album as well. I was there doing some stuff. And um, Cozy said, it's not about being loud, Russ. I said, no, no. He said, drumming's all about displacing air. And that's absolutely right. You know, when you hear, who's the guy from um, oh, uh, Chris Child's band? Thunder. Thunder. You hear Harry, Harry James play. Very, very closest thing I've heard to, uh, to Cozy. Mm. Like you've got, you know, you've got um, Carmine. He's, he plays in that kind of weight, but they displace air, you know, that, that kind of, and it's a great thing. Same Jason. as John Bonham. They yeah, can I'll, play I'll say Jason Bonham. I've heard Jason Bonham on stage. Um, well, yeah. I, that yeah. country communion, and he was amazing. Yes, yes, he's a great, great player, you know, he's a great player. But yeah. he does the same thing, you know, it's that, it's that weight, the weight they put. It's not the, it's not the the noise they create. It's the weight, and you know, with uh, some rock and roll stuff, it's such an exciting thing to be around. You know, it's like yeah. a different, it's a different way of playing. But they lay into it's, they lay into the kick. They have big drums and lay into the kick, lay into the snare, lay into the hi hat, and it's very very exciting. Yeah. Russ, I, I have a question. If only Cozy would be around. Oh, right. So, yeah. sorry, that, would, that would be good. Yeah. 
If only Cozy would still be around. Yeah, what a shame, eh? What a shame. So, so long ago, I mean, he died 20, 22 years ago. It's got to be, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was 1998. It's really funny. 98. Yeah, it was 90... Hang on, it yeah. was April 1998? March or April 1998. Um, yeah, that was really a sad I remember, day. I remember that happening. It, 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 yeah, I remember that happening. Very sad. Very sad. He was we great. Toured, we toured in America, you know. We're in, on the last tour I did with Argent, or the tour before last, we played with Jeff Beck. Really? And Cozy was in that band with Max Middleton. Cozy wow. was in, in that band. And they had uh, Bob, Bobby Tench on vocals. And Jeff, uh, the bass player was um, Timmy Bogart. Mm -hmm. And Bet Bogart and Apache. Mm. He, uh, it was funny, we, we did four or five gigs together. One, you know, one after the other. And we were at the Hyatt House in LA. And we, were, we had another two gigs to do, or two or three or four gigs to do with them. And we had breakfast together. They were on the next table. And we had an early flight. We just had breakfast and we looked across to each other. And I said to them, well, we'll see you at the airport. And they went, no, no, you won't. They said, yeah, we will. We're playing with you tonight. And they said, no, we've been sacked. They were sacked by Jeff the night before. No. Well, we've got, we've got about three more gigs to do with them, you know. So we got to the gig and he was, he was, um, he was uh, rehearsing with, with Timmy Bogart and Carmine mm -hmm. and, and Max, Max Middleton, you know. It was amazing that he could just change in one night and, and rehearse a whole different set for that night, you know. That's really amazing. I mean, time-wise, time it seems to fit into Ian's next question. I know that yep. Ian really wants to know something which is so important to him. I, I understand you, Ian, because the song you are questioning about is really good. It's a great song. I think everybody, everybody knows, not everybody, but, but a lot of people will be aware that Santana um, covered uh, your song Winning, which was the title track of one of your solo albums. Perhaps less known is the other song that he recorded, which is all on his greatest hits albums, called Nowhere to Run. So we thought we'd focus on, on that track. Um, and so we'd love to hear a little bit about that song. And did Carlos ever speak to you back in the day? How did that relationship you know, become about? How, how was it two songs instead of one? Please, please tell us more if you would. No, it's a strange one. If we were on the same label in America, Argent were on CBS, Epic CBS, and um, Santana on CBS as well. Um, I'd made an album in America at the third stroke with Keith Olsen as the producer. Keith had done the, um, the first Fleetwood Mac album, uh, the Rhiannon album with Stevie Nicks and, um, uh, and Lindsay Buckingham. Right. And he had, he had already produced their album about two years before. He'd done the, he'd done the, uh, the Buckingham Knicks album. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is your luck in life. This is how things go. It's mad, you know. In the same way as, as Three Dog Night did Liar, they recorded Liar. It was just, you know, they didn't have to record it. They liked the song. They, you know, that was my luck. Mm. That was good luck. With um, 
with Keith and Buckingham next. He'd done that album, and it wasn't, I don't think it was particularly successful, but he, he thought they were great. I'm coming back to Santana, by the way. He thought they were great. So um, his next project was Fleetwood Mac, which had, uh, it was Fleetwood Mac Mark 7 or whatever it was, you know, with all, guy, uh, all guys except for Christine. And um, halfway through the album, or a quarter of the way through the album, who was the guy? He did Something Eyes, Magic Eyes, Something Eyes, the guy that was in Fleetwood Mac at the time. He left to pursue a solo career. Then someone else left. They didn't have a band, but they had to make an album as Fleetwood Mac. And they said, what do we do now? We've lost two of our, two of our guys. What do we do? Keith said, why don't you use, why don't you listen to, to Lindsay uh, Buckingham and Stevie Nicks? He said, he said uh, I've made an album with them and they're fantastic, you know, brought them in and they sort of played together and they were in the band. So Keith put that, that band, to, he, put, he put that album together, put the, uh, Stevie and Lindsay together with them. And, uh, and the first, um, the first album was made down. That album and the uh, uh, Rhiannon is fantastic. That sold at the time, I think, after about a year and a half, it sold like 16 or 17, 18 million wow. albums. And then um, I think they had a rough time working with. Uh, working with Keith uh, Sower here. In fact, Keith did say to me, you know, they said, we're not working with him again. But, you know, he'd given them an album that had sold all those albums, you know. And then they did rumours. But Keith gave them a fantastic platform. Well, after that, Keith did, he did um, Foreigner. He did the Foreigner album. Um, I can't remember which album it was. And then he did Santana. But he always loved, he had my album winning and he said, I love this song. He said, I love this song. And he's, that's my luck again, that mm. after the Foreigner album, he produced Santana. Wow. And he played it to Santana and he said, yeah, we do that. I like that, you know. So uh, I've got so many songs that would suit yeah. Santana. Yeah. But see, that's the kind of story I've heard before. Have you heard that story before, Sven? That's a new one on me, that, how that song came to pass. Yeah, com completely, completely new to me. But yeah, yeah that's, the, that's, what, that's, that's a great happened. story. Great story. That's but, what happened. You know, uh, I, I, I've never met Carlos. Never met him. So interesting to see. I mean, you, you've wrote so many songs and all of a sudden somebody, somebody records it. And yeah, it, it was a, a top 10 hit or a number one hit. Um, I mean, it's quite similar to, yeah, at the third stroke. So one of, one of my favorite Rust Ballard albums and, um, cast the spirit is my, might be my all time favorite Rust Ballard song. Um, Ooh. yeah, well, yeah, I, I really lo love it. Oh. There's only one song I really like 1% <laughs> more is in the night. Okay. So, oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. In the night is I know my. I like that one. I remember you say, telling me you like that one. Yeah. yeah. In the night. In the night is uh, from another universe. So that's that's amazing. <laughs> so, 
tell you what we're going to do just just parking that for a minute we're going to we're going to have a vote i think of all the voices of russ ballard readers in the new year and we're going to have like a knockout and we're going to put like almost like an fa cup of russ ballard songs where we we vote and we have one song against each other and we get down to the last four and the last two and we see what exactly what the most favorite song is of everybody it'd be really interesting to do that <laughs> yeah yeah be. well yeah yeah I, I mean they're all over the place i mean there's so many different kinds kinds of things i write but uh i i guess i guess no i mean i've written all sorts of tunes really all, all sorts of tunes so you're never gonna know i mean i like soul and i like rock i think basically they're my two favorite genre you know yeah to me, I'm a sight cast a spirit with two guitar solos in it. Um, it's a very clever song. It's a, it's a long song, which I prefer. I like it. Um, but a little later, a band called America recorded the song. Yeah. Did, did the guys from America ring you and say, hey, hey Russ, cast a spirit is, is a great song. Can we just do it uh, a little more up-tempo? No, to be honest, I thought uh, I thought when we recorded mine, Jeff Beccaro played drums on that. By the way, that was a, that was a, that was a nice uh, that was a good band. That was, that the, was to David the, the Toto yeah. guys, wasn't it? Yeah, Toto. Yeah, that was Toto basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, I like the lyric. I was pleased with the lyric, but those chords, those chords are very much America chords, and when. I produced America in 1980. Uh, they came with a, they came with a few of their a few a couple of songs. I never believed in things that I couldn't see. I said if I can't feel it. How can it be? Oh no, no magic could happen to me And then I saw you, I couldn't believe it You took my heart, I couldn't retrieve it Said to myself, what's it all about? Now I know there can be no doubt You can do
82, when I did the next, I did the next album, they came with uh, nothing. They came with one song. Jerry, oh. uh, Jerry had a song. He came with a song, but uh, Dewey didn't have any songs at all. I mean, Abbey Road, with, without any songs. Uh, I had, I had a couple. Uh, I had three or four, but I expected them to bring four or five, six with them, you know. To so, make it uh, an album. So, yeah. the, so they were here. We had all the studio time booked. So uh, I said, I tell you what, I have lots of songs that would suit you. Lots of songs on demo. Mm -hmm. So I dug all these demos out, you know, like Don't Believe in Miracles and uh, Cast the Spirit. And I wrote, I wrote a couple, you know, while we were making the album as well. So I had, I think I wrote 10 songs on that album. Then mm -hmm. I wrote one with Dewey, but it's the only way we got an album out, you know. <laughs> Which was a hit. It's funny how these things turn out, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they, you know, a nice band, America. Good people. I love that, you see. I love that. Uh, I love the hypnotic effect of so many of their songs, you know? Mm -hmm. Hypnotic. And I thought Cast the Spirit had that potential to be very hypnotic. Yeah. Although, I could have made it more hypnotic, but... Um, I think, you know, uh, they probably thought they were making a Russ Ballard album, <laughs> but, uh, but if, in fact, the song, I, I, I wouldn't have chosen those songs for myself, but uh, I thought they suited, suited America because they were lighter. Well, you, mm -hmm. you certainly made it easy for them, didn't you? Because um, when, when it came to it, I, I remember you saying, I remember hearing another interview with you where um, literally they put their voices on a number of the tracks. It was just you virtually playing everything. And they just, well, okay, we'll just put our voices to it. <laughs> I did. I put, I put everything down. Yeah, I put the drum, the drum unit down, which, which I think was a, um, who was the guy that made those drum machines? Yeah, I put down the drum machine, then I put down a bass. I, no, drum machine, Fender Rhodes, bass, guitar, strumming, strumming acoustic guitars. I, I tracked a few times and then uh, the boys flew in and put their vocals down. Um, it's easy, you know, I've done it for so many years on demos, just, you know, just put time in the studio. I've had three songs and I used to do, I used to do 24 track demos when no one else was doing, you know, 24 track demos. You couldn't afford to go in the studio for three days and make 24 track demos. Nobody, I mean, every, every great producer was listening to songs, just voice and piano, voice and guitar. And because I remember Al Gallico, the publisher in LA, saying, Rusty, I was there actually when he did it for my benefit. He said, He don't, he don't make, he don't make demos, he makes masters. <laughs> he don't make demos, he makes masters. But I used to do three and four in, in uh, three days, and that's playing them. Do, you know, I had the songs already, and then mixing them in one day. You know. Well, Sven, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, that's part one. Don't worry, it's only part one of three, yes, three parts to this podcast of A Conversation with Russ Ballard. He was so 
it was so open, honest, and, and some, some really great stories coming up, haven't we, Sven? So we've got an, uh, an opportunity to, to give, you know, to, to, to do three shows, um, all of which about an hour long, I would guess. Is that right? Yeah, it, it looks like they will be an hour long or an hour 15. It, it depends, mm. depends a little bit on the music because we will play more music in the next parts. And we do have a special treat for the fans, Ian. Oh, oh. We have a real special treat. And the real special treat is that, yeah, is that Russ has given us a brand new song, um, a song that was going to be used by someone else but now he said no actually i'm going to use it for myself um the song is called one who breathes me and let's have a little very very short preview of that right now so that was a very 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 short part of one who breathes me <laughs> but you're going to listen to the whole of the track in podcast number two which is coming up uh, in the new year, in 2021. He, Russ will be talking in pod two a lot about the Book of Love. Look out for some real emotional moments during that, by the way. I just wanted to give, before we go, just a quick advert for our group, for our Facebook group, The Voices of Russ Ballard. If you like what you hear on the podcast, please, please become a member of The Voices of Russ Ballard on Facebook. It's free. We'd love to have you along and tell your friends about it. And before I hand over to Sven, Sven, it's for a really, really special final message. Um, I just wanted to, to remind everybody of the songs that we played today. We played Hold Your Head Up, Since You've Been Gone, and God Gave Rock and Roll to You, all from the live album from the Book of Love tour in 2007. And then we finished up with You Can Do Magic, the new version of You Can Do Magic, which is absolutely fantastic, as I'm sure you'll agree, from the new album, It's Good to Be Here. So enough from me. I'm going to hand over to Sven. Sven, you've got something you'd like to, to just close with. Yeah, well, Ian, that was a brilliant summary of uh, today's podcast. Um, yeah, very, very cool one. We are so proud to have Russ on board. And uh, I look forward to the next podcasts, to two and three. I'd like to say thank you for listening to our podcast, The Voices of Russ Ballard Podcast. And yep. as it's uh, Christmas Eve today, I think I think we really need to close off this with kind of happy, happy Christmas. And this is something I want to hand over uh, to Mr. B himself, Russ Ballard, giving us the closing of this show. That's enough from me. Thank you, everybody listening to our podcast from me, Sven, and... And from me, Ian. Happy Christmas, everybody. Happy Christmas, everybody. And uh, over to Russ. Bala. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. God bless. Hi, this is Russ Ballard. And you're listening to The Voices of Russ Ballard Podcast.